five, four, three, two, one. Welcome. You have entered the Kai Corso experience. What's going on, Cane Corso family? It's your boy, Johnny Doe, coming at you with a long-awaited installment of the Cane Corso Experience. It's your everyday, regular, working stiff, me, Johnny Doe, coming at you, the everyday Cane Corso owner, about everything to do with owning your best friend, your Cane Corso. Really, any dog lover can probably get something out of this podcast uh, especially if you're into just that personal connection with your dog. But uh, Connie Corsos are a special breed and they require a special amount of attention. So that's why I dedicate this podcast to not exclusively the Connie Corso, but that's what I focus on. Okay. Um, I'm not a professional trainer. I'm not a professional nutritionist. I'm not a professional behaviorist. Um, I am a professional Romulus owner. That is my best friend, my Cane Corso, who is a two-year-old Cane Corso male, uncut. He is not neutered, okay? Um, I don't know if I've mentioned that before, but that's relevant um, sometimes in some of the behavior stuff that, that I uh, will be referencing. I'm not even a professional podcast host. This is my, um, I don't even want to say part-time gig. This is my side piece, Okay. I do this out of the love of dog ownership. Now, I apologize for not uploading for a couple weeks. Um, I I think I mentioned that this summer is going to be kind of hit and miss because I I'll, I do a lot of my training in the summer where I go to different military schools, and uh, sometimes I'm going to be away, and it's really hard to podcast when you're doing an army school because you don't get a lot of time to yourself. You're just training, training, training. Now, with that being said. Um, that wasn't my excuse last week. Last week I had time to do it. I just really didn't have anything to say. I really didn't have a subject that I wanted to just, I don't want to do it just to do it. Um, now I know that, that some people, um, don't listen to every single episode. So maybe I could bring up something they haven't heard before, but, um, I know if it's out there, if I've done a subject or something on it and I don't have something new to add to it, I don't want to do it. Um, I don't want to do it just to do it. And it's not even about not wasting your time as a listener. Um, that's part of it. But if I'm not enthusiastic about doing this, then why am I doing it? You know, I don't get paid to do this. This isn't my job. This is a passion for me. And I, I so much enjoy the interaction with people. I enjoy uploading. I, I enjoy sharing my experiences. I'm not an expert on everything Connie Corso, nor, nor do I need to be, nor do you need to be. But I am someone that can articulate my experiences and uh, that's how I learn and that's how I think uh, you can learn two ways, through experience one and two, learning from other people's mistakes sometimes. And so I like to share some of those mistakes because I've made a lot, Um, but I've also had a lot of victories as well. So I didn't upload if I, I'm not going to upload if I'm not passionate about what I'm going to be talking about because it's gonna it's gonna come through, and hopefully, 
no matter what your opinion is on me as um, you know my training methods or behavior type stuff, hopefully you at least can realize that I'm passionate about what I'm talking about. I've, I listen to a lot of podcasts and sometimes the host, it sounds like they have a gun to their head and I, I don't know why they're doing it. I do it because, um, well, can I say passionate again? <laughs> I've said it like four times. Now, this is take two. I actually started this podcast about uh, 30 minutes ago. And then right as I'm cracking the mic and I'm moving the mic closer to my face, the mic cord, uh, I have a can of NOS here, energy drink. Uh, it went across the can of NOS and it dumped it right all over my keyboard of my MacBook Pro. And I freaked out because I was like, oh, that's that computer's dead. Luckily, crisis averted. I fixed it. Um, I cleaned it up, took a blue blow dryer to it, um, and waited a little bit and rebooted it up. And it's, it's all good to go. So now I have my NOS over there by my Xbox. So now if it spills, it's just going to ruin that. <laughs> let me, let me grab a, grab a drink. Mm, this is not an unofficial, uh, an official unofficial sponsor, but you know, NOS energy drink is my preferred energy drink. So without further ado, I know that some of you are, you're waiting on pins and needles to hear my official unofficial sponsor. I'm going to tell you what Romulus's new favorite thing is. And it's going to be relevant to um, some of the topics I'm going to get into with his training. And it's his new remote control car. Now, I know what you're thinking. Johnny, you've already talked about this freaking car. We see it on your Instagram. We got it. No, no, no. That's the old one. That one wasn't fast enough to get away from Romulus. And so Romulus crushed it. <laughs> and I repaired it more than a few times. And finally, he just, he broke an axle where I, you're not going to fix it. So 70 bucks down the drain. And I was like, okay, I need something just a little bit faster and a little bit more robust. So I got something that was about 120 bucks. And it it definitely, um, it's not fast enough in straight line speed to just, he'll catch it eventually, but I can maneuver it where it keeps him entertained when I take him to the dog park. I mean, man, it wears him out. Now, with that being said, I had to kind of tear it back, <coughs> excuse me, a little bit because um, if you're an avid listener of this podcast, you know that, that Romulus has... Uh, dysplasia in his in his elbows and he has kind of a bad hip as well when I say bad I just mean if you overwork him uh, he kind of limps a little bit and is a little lame uh, he's on lots of different supplement regimens and exercise regimen and I've talked about it at nauseum but he does really really well except when dumbass Johnny Doe decides to just uh, play with this remote control car over and over and over and he's doing nothing but sprint after sprint after sprint and lots of hard cuts um, and I took him uh, we did it once when it there's a lot of dew and maybe even rained it was real wet out and he slipped a couple times and stuff and and I could tell he wasn't like limping limping but you can tell he was a little sore uh, the next day so we're we're taking about a week off um, just he, he was fine on his walk today um, but that's one thing you really got to pay attention to. Even in an older dog like him, he's fully mature. He can run and jump and everything like that. 
but knowing that it's a large breed dog, it's still not great to just have them sprint, 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 sprint like he was doing with this car. Now, it's okay to do it every once in a while. You just, you know, I got a little overzealous because he really loves this car. I mean, he freaks out for this car. Now, it's it's also fantastic to see how little impulse control he truly has for something that he truly wants. Now, it's, you know, like I'll hold a treat out and tell him to wait and he won't grab it. And then I tell him to grab it and he, and he grabs it. And that's easy impulse control because, yeah, he wants the treat, but he's not willing to like kill somebody for it. This car, I mean, he just ignores me. Like I'll have him get in the down position before I put the car down and then I'll t- it'll take off and um, he will not listen to me. Like when I do the flirt pole, I'm, I do the exact same thing and I'll do the flirt pole right in front of his face and he will not go after it till I give him the command. This car drives him nuts. Like I'll stand in his way and try to block him from the car. He'll run right through me. He does not care. He wants this car so freaking bad. And so um, it's going to be really good to try to get him trained because uh, I know if I can get him trained when he's at the the, the highest, I, I don't think that you can get to a higher stimulus than this car for him. And I <laughs> took one of his toys and I taped it to the body of the car, took the body off and, and then taped, duct taped this, well, <laughs> ironically enough, a duck um, on to this car and he, you know, so he has something to grab when he when he grabs it and stuff. But anyway, his impulse control, I don't want to say need some work. It it just it's non-existent when this car comes into the picture. I mean, he just and he'll I mean, he'll probably run after it till he breaks his legs or his heart explodes. I mean, he is that into it. Um and I don't do it that long to see exactly how long he'll do it, but we did it on a couple of days. It was kind of warm out and man, he was he was wore out afterwards. So um, I don't even know the brand of the remote control car, but I would say if your dog has a very strong prey drive, um, that might be something that's a fun little thing uh, to play with that that gets some energy out. Um, it's I will say that it's not the best thing when you're trying to have a very strict training on impulse control, this hasn't helped Romulus in the sense of I'm letting him kind of chase it when he wants to chase it. And I know it's probably encouraging him um, to chase rabbits and squirrels more when when I've been training him not to do that. So it might be a little confusing for him, but it's one of those things that it's like you want to see your dog also in a controlled environment, happy, having fun, just letting loose and then it not be um, just about the training aspect. With that being said, um, I'm going to start flipping the, the, the script a little bit on him and trying to just focus on the impulse control with it. But it's a good thing to, to train to because I don't even need tra- treats when I'm doing his obedience work. I just hold this car in my hand and he'll do whatever I ask him to do until I put it down. <laughs> okay, so let's get into some of the uh, topics that I want to talk about. Now, I'll, I'll do, I always do kind of listener questions and stuff at the end. I don't have a lot of new ones. That's usually stuff I've covered before. Uh, a lot of people ask me something and I'll reference, hey, you know, I'm not 
I'm not trying to just get people to listen to my podcast, but there's a reason why I do this. The reason is, it's very hard to explain something just in a typed message. Um, the, the preferred method is like a video representation, um, but the happy medium is this podcast. And sometimes I'll even do, if it's a very detailed thing, I'll take Romulus somewhere and kind of show an example of it. But I'll usually reference um, something like that where I'll tell somebody, hey, look at my Instagram or uh, look at or listen to one of the one of the other episodes and it'll answer that question, you know, a little bit more thoroughly. Now, some of them, um, maybe there's an there's something I didn't mention and I want to clarify. And so you'll hear me talk about multiple uh, the same topic multiple times, but there's just a lot to cover. It's a very nuanced thing uh, when you're training dogs and you're dealing with dog behavior because every dog is different and there's there's so many different methods. One of the things I've been doing a lot um, in the last couple of weeks, I've been watching a lot of videos on training on YouTube because I just want to see, because there's a, there's a big dog training community and um, a lot of the dog trainers that are on YouTube, um, okay, how am I going to say this? I am not an expert, so who am I to criticize anyone, right? Um, but I have run into a lot that it's not that they're wrong. It's it's the delivery of of how they talk to uh, people. Um, and I'm not going to mention names. This guy just recently discovered, but he's he's almost like yelling at people that are watching, <laughs> and 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 he's very condescending, and. Um, he talks about stuff that I can definitely tell. It's like, yeah, he knows what he's talking about. Um, but it's it's more the delivery of it. And um, I don't think the, that a lot of people do a very good job of explaining the nuances. For instance, he was talking about dog aggression and how it's all the things leading up to the dog reacting that you need to watch out for um, and, and, um, by the time that they have that reaction, it's kind of too late. So it's all the other things that you do in your house. And he gave some examples, but he kept referencing all the things beforehand and the stuff in between. He's like, make sure you do this, make sure you do this, make sure you do this. But he didn't really show examples and he has a YouTube channel. He has dogs everywhere and he really didn't show it. And one thing I realized is, um, you know, one of the reasons why I I do this, I mean, I just explained why um, I'm passionate about, you know, helping people. But um, aside from that, I realized that some of the training stuff that I see, um, it's, it's either they don't do a good job of really explaining the nuances because you can't really do, like a YouTube channel, it's usually... Um, short little clips and short little cuts. Like watch Caesar Milan, um, and I criticize that show, not him. I, I think he's very astute, and I and I really like him a lot. But the show itself, you know, it's like 22 minutes, and so they have to. You have to get to know the person. You get to know the dog. Um, you get to see the negative behavior, and then now you're left with like Caesar has to fit it, fix it in 10 minutes. And, it, and I don't think it does a very good job of showing all the work that it takes. And it makes it look, it kind of oversimplifies it, I think. 
Um, and there's a lot of YouTube channels, they do the exact same thing, is that they explain something or they show a dog that has been trained for years and then they'll say, see, watch, and then they'll do whatever that they're wanting them to do and it fixes it the first time go. And it, and it kind of gives the impression that it's easier than it is when it's really that 24-7 that you're spinning with that dog. Um, that that it, it, it kind of, it, it takes time and lots of repetition and it slowly changes. It's, it's not an immediate thing. And if it is an immediate thing, like for instance, this guy showed a correction he made on it because he did a couple of Conte Corsos and he corrected it and the dog stopped what it was doing. It was like a kind of a resource guarding behavior. And he goes, see, it's that easy. But, but he didn't say that, hey, this didn't fix the problem. This stopped this particular situation, but it's going to reoccur, reoccur, reoccur. And yes, you can get it better and incrementally better. It could be 20% better. It could be 90% better, but it's always going to be a management thing where you're always going to have to make some sort of corrections. Um, you're never, it's probably never going to be a hundred percent where it's just like, Oh, my dog doesn't ever do this ever again. Um, sometimes it does because just the type of personality that your dog has, but, um, I don't think that they do, um, do it justice to a novice, uh, about dog training. And it's, it's the same thing why I don't like boarding, uh, the board and train method where you drop off your dog for a week or two weeks, pay somebody a bunch of money and then picking up, pick them up and they're all trained is because 50% of the training is you training yourself on how to give the commands, what to watch for being aware. Um, I've said it before me being in the military, especially being in the infantry, is is very similar it's 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 it lends um well to the skill set that you need for dog training so if i'm walking uh, on a patrol in afghanistan i'm you know walking from point a to point b my head's on a swivel i'm looking at my sector but i'm also looking at my uh, team leader or squad leader and and trying to figure out if they're giving me any hand and arm signals i'm listening to the radio I'm, you know, uh, kind of being aware of where I'm at. I might, if, if I'm a map person, I'm, you know, making sure that where we're at on the, on, on the map, you know, as far as grid coordinates, you're paying attention to where your weapon is oriented. You're paying attention to how much water that you're consuming. You're paying attention to, uh, the change of elevation, the, the, you know, the, the terrain, you're looking for IEDs. There's a million things that you have to do and you're doing everything kind of, you're going through this, uh, these different steps second by second. You're constantly, you're never just daydreaming or not paying attention. And using those skills when you're training your dog is extremely important to, to just be aware and be watching everything. Because if you see a dog react, you don't, if you didn't see the precursors to that, you didn't see what they were actually you know, uh, what, what led up to that, you might misdiagnose what the problem was to begin with. And so this particular trainer, he did a good job of, of, of saying that, of saying, Hey, you, you gotta, 
it's all the stuff beforehand, but he didn't then give examples and he didn't talk about what you should be doing. He just said, talked about the initial correction when your dog did whatever aggressive act or resource guarding act or whatever. And so, um, hence the reason why I do this, because I think I, I can get kind of a little bit more in the nuance. And like I said before, it's so different when you live with a dog. That's why I don't take training uh, tips from breeders. There's there's a couple YouTube channels that they breed Connie Corsos and they'll talk about behaviors and training and stuff. And and then they 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 kennel their dogs. They have them in kennels and then every once in a while have them out. It's like it's 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 different to try to get your dog to be obedient in a moment. It's way different than having them be um, obedient just in life in the everyday aspects and all the things that you have to do to maintain that when you're watching TV, when you're eating dinner, when people come over to the house, when the mailman knocks on the door, all those things. Because when you're when you walk your dog or you take him to Home Depot and then you shove him in a kennel for the next 20 hours, it's not the same thing. And so um, there there's a couple other YouTubers that their uh, Connie Corsos are their pets and they're in their house. And even though I don't necessarily always agree with them, I don't disagree with their methods or disagree with um, their take on on something. Maybe I would do it different is what I'm saying, but they're not wrong because they live it. They live it every single day, and that's, that's part of it. Um, I've said it before, your dog's genetics have a huge role to play. And here's the example that I used uh, with someone not too long ago. I was helping them with their dog. And I said... Um, cause they were saying, well, this person got this great results. Okay. Take two kids, um, and have them growing up through their adolescence. And one of them is shy, but deep down they want to be like the center of attention and, and rich and famous. And, and they like, uh, people paying attention to them and they, they really like the attention. Okay. But they're really shy right now. So it looks like that they don't. And you take this uh, kid B and they're shy, but they hate the attention. They, they're they mortified at the idea of public speaking. They're mortified at the idea of taking a picture of themselves and putting it on Instagram or YouTube or, or having to give a speech or give a presentation. Uh, they don't want to go to a bar and try to pick people up, a uh, man or a woman, or make new friends. They're just socially inept and they're and it's, it's very, very tough. Now, kid A... You know, uh, they grow up and both kid A and kid B are um, in their 20s and they're um, in college and they're getting ready to, to, to complete college and maybe get into the workforce. And kid A, who, who is shy, you can bring him out of his shell or her and encourage them to, hey, try to get, uh, be a little bit more open-minded and be a little bit more social. And uh, here, do this project or this, give this presentation or do this, uh, practice this job interview, or I want you to present to this class. And all of a sudden they just blossom because through that practice, their, their, their inner desire that they always wanted to be that social butterfly. Now they have the tools. Somebody taught them the tools on public speaking and interacting with people, maybe humor. And all of a sudden they want to do it more and more and more. And all of a sudden, they start their own YouTube channel, and they do public presentations, 
and they just love being the center of attention. Then you have Kid B, and Kid B has a similar job that you're preparing them for, and you want them to socially interact. You need them to to be able to present to their peers. You might want to, you you have to do some social media stuff, so some videos you got to put online and and do videos of yourself, and and they're mortified at this idea. They are petrified. It is something that they are, that that it's their nightmare. They have such anxiety that they give themselves a panic attack and se- severe anxiety. And through all good practices, maybe working out, meditation, maybe even some medication, they can get the nerve up to finally present to their class. And they do pretty good. But they're the entire time, they're nervous, sweaty palms, they're worried about how do they look, how do they sound, do people think I'm stupid, but they get through it and they're able to do it. And over time, they get better at it, but they never enjoy it. And any time that they can get out of it, they will. But when they're forced to do it, they can comply and do the bare minimum and get through it, but it's never going to be a passion or something that they like. Now take person A and person B and turn them into dogs, and that's that's the relevance of any training that you do. If you have a dog, a Cane Corso, that is has some fear, but they really like people, they really like other dogs, they have that disposition that all you got to do is maybe break them out of that comfort zone and maybe uh, socialize them and, and get them to understand that this stuff isn't, isn't to be afraid of, all of a sudden they're being pet by everybody, they're not reactive to anything, and they just go out and they just love life. And you take dog B and you do the exact same thing except they are never going to like dogs. They are never going to like strangers. They're never going to seek out attention. They don't want to be in those social situations. You could train them to not react, to decide. I shouldn't even say decide. To listen to your command and obey that command, but they're never going to be left to their own devices. They're never going to seek that out. They're never going to just love other dogs and love other people. They will maybe reluctantly be around other dogs, reluctantly be around other people. That's what I want you to understand. Just like people are different, the dogs that you bring into your house and into your family and into your life are different and they're all going to have different reactions to your training. So a lot of times these trainers and these gurus and these people that want to sell you products, they want to pretend like there's not a nature aspect that it's 100% nurture and that is completely incorrect. And if that was true, then nobody would care about the breeding standards and stuff like that. Go watch a dog show. Um, AKC champions, you know, Connie Corsos and stuff. And they might have 30 dogs in their breeding program and they will take the one that not only has the structure but has the disposition where a stranger can handle them and look at their teeth and all that other stuff. They can have a dog with perfect structure and if they don't have that the behavior stuff, they cannot show that dog. And there's you talk to enough people that show dogs, they will tell you that they're They've had some that's like, I can't show this dog because they just don't have the personality, so they won't breed that dog, okay? Maybe they'll sell it as a pet, but they're not going to breed it. It's not going to be part of their breeding program because breeders that are on that level, 
that's how they make their money by having champion dogs that they then, you know, sire or whatever, and and they can sell those sell those puppies. And so uh, they want those dispositions. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting a dog like that. Everybody would want a dog like that. And I've had many dogs like that. And I can tell you, basic obedience training. You don't have to go much above that, and and life is easy with those dogs. The chances are, if you get a Cane Corso, the way that the 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 breed has exploded in the last uh, few years, and there's a lot more breeders that are popping up, and they're not breeding sometimes to the highest of standards, and you get dogs like Romulus, who is a great dog. I wouldn't trade him for anything because. He's the reason I'm doing this podcast. But he does not have the best disposition, the best genetics. He's not a gifted dog. You know, when I um, when I got Romulus, we went there to pick a different dog. We had the second pick of the litter. And um, we went there for a female. Um, and we, we saw pictures of all the dogs. We picked the female. She had the best structure. She had a really good disposition. She was a beautiful dog, all that stuff. We went to the breeder, and what we did is, you know, we met the parents. Uh, we saw all the other puppies. We got to see all the, this is the, it was a relatively new breeder. She got her dogs from a very reputable breeder as well who had a different breeding program. Um, and she, you know, this was like her second or third litter. Um, and she... Um, you know, had her puppies out and we got to meet all the puppies. And so we're messing with the female uh, that we're going to pick. And they, she had them all named after uh, like trees. So this one was Aspen and Romulus's name was Cypress at the time. And so, um, and they were like, I want to say 11 or 12 weeks old. So a little bit older. Some people get puppies at like eight weeks. I, I don't like to get them that young, but anyway, um, so we're meeting all the dogs and they're giving us time. They they kind of leave us alone with the dogs so we can kind of interact with them. And I'm a big believer in, um, I'm not a spiritual person. I'm not a religious person. I'm not somebody that, you know, listens to astrology signs or thinks that, that the universe is trying to tell me something. But I'm very much in tune with, I don't fight things that I think are meant to be, okay? And... Um, if that's an interaction with a person or how I met my wife or whatever else, you just kind of, I've learned to just go with the flow and not fight things. You know, if I'm trying to buy a car and everything is kind of standing in my way and, and, and the bank is being weird or the dealership is weird or something is real, is, is funky about it. Sometimes I just walk away going, mm, this is, you know, forcing this, it might not be in my best interest. So let me just like not, not push my luck sort of thing. And you can call it superstition. You can call it ignorance, whatever, but that's just kind of how I've always lived my life. And so I'm meeting these dogs and Aspen was great. She was a great dog. She had great structure. But then I saw Cyprus, who was Romulus. Okay. I saw Romulus and he had such a sweet disposition. He was, um, not that he was like, uh, ignoring. Well, he wasn't away from his litter mates, but he was kind of doing his own thing. And he was, you could tell he was very independent and he was very sure of himself. He didn't have the best structure. 
I really didn't pay attention to that or care because like I said, I'm not a breeder. I don't show dogs. I didn't, I don't care about that. And there was something about him. I remember he had this huge pause. And my wife was, this was for my wife, a dog for my wife. So she wanted a girl, but she kind of fell in love with him too. And we were talking, it's like, oh man, we really like, because, you know, the, the female dog, she, she came up to us, but it, she didn't, I don't know how to explain it. Romulus would just stare deeply into our eyes and he, and he wasn't whining. He wasn't like jumping on us. He wasn't like begging to be picked up. He would just sit in front of us and look at us and we would pet him and he was real sweet, but he just, he was, he was just very comfortable in his surroundings. And there was something about him. And we said, hey, we want to think about it. So we went and drove around so we could talk about it. So we drove around the neighborhood, circled. And we, after talking for about 20 minutes, we decided, I think we want Romulus. So we went back and said, hey, can we change and, and take Romulus instead of Aspen? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. So we, we took him. And the rest is history. And so I, I have no regrets. Um, I have no regrets at all because... He's been a challenge in a good way. And he does have a lot of positive traits, a lot of positive disposition, a lot of positive things about him. Trust me, he's not the worst by far. But he's he's challenging enough that I can learn and get better at my methods and really have to understand uh, behavior and training on another level that other dogs have has not given me before. Um, and so I feel very lucky in that regard. But I also sometimes get defensive because I see people um, out in the world or on YouTube in particular, and sometimes they don't acknowledge that nature plays such a huge role that you can always get your dog better. But there's certain dogs that you did not have to train them not to do this. They just are that. I didn't train Romulus to chase a remote control car. I don't train Romulus uh, in in certain things. He just that's just his nature to do that. Um, one of the 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 easy things with him, for instance, think about your dog and if you can leave him in the car. I have a bulldog that if you leave him in the car, he'll sit there and bark and bark and bark until you come back. Romulus, you can leave him in the car, and he'll just sit there for an hour until you get back. You don't see him bark. You don't see him freaking out. He'll just sit there and watch people. And if someone gets real close to the car, he'll bark at him or whatever. But he he's really good and he's very patient. Um, you cannot, you can't really teach patience in that way. That's just and and you you could teach more patience, but not to the level he's at. That's just his disposition. So I can sit here as a quote unquote trainer and show you video of this and throw it up on YouTube and say, look at my dog, how compliant he is. Do you want your dog to be like this? Give me $9.95, here's a book or whatever. And I can sell you something uh, or more importantly, sell you on the idea that there's something that I did. Now you can encourage, if your dog already has that disposition, you can encourage it and make it better. Um. And if they don't have that disposition, you can train, 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 and it could be really hard. You can get them a little bit better. It's just like the the analogy that I use with person A and person B, one being a true introvert and someone else being an extrovert that's just shy. 
there's a difference between an introvert and an extrovert that's just a little bit shy. Um, and and I use that example because it's like my wife and I, we're both kind of antisocial, but if I'm put in certain social situations, I can easily become the center of attention. There's, I, I don't mind people paying attention to me. I don't mind giving public presentations. I don't mind being in a sales situation. My my wife, that's her nightmare, okay? And it's it, she she will avoid it at all costs, but she's gotten better at it over the years because she's a public school teacher. So she's had to get better. And so that's, I guess the point that I'm, that I'm trying to make is, um, what you got in your dog, um, you need to try to get its full potential out. Doesn't mean that everybody that plays basketball is going to be LeBron James. Okay. If you don't have the certain nature first, doesn't matter how much practice that you do, you're, you're, you're not going to be at that level. Now you can get, always get better at basketball. Doesn't mean you're going to be LeBron James. Okay. So always remember that. Um, because I don't want your, I don't want you to set yourself up for unrealistic expectations. Um, you should always be hopeful, but you should also be very aware of what you have that you're working with. And Romulus, um, you know, there's just certain things that I know are his triggers or are going to set him off or whatever else because of his nature. And you're never getting away from that. So here's my example of that that I ran into um, that I, I kind of alluded to in some other podcast. But I had to do something with Romulus that I haven't done in about a year. Yeah, it's been about a year. And it's give him a bath. So some of you might be going, Johnny, I give my dog a bath like once a month. Okay, cool. My bulldog, I can literally give him a bath every day and he'll just sit there and he he enjoys it until I start pouring water on his head. And he still kind of will, he didn't try to jump out of the tub or anything. He still sits there. He's so easy to give a bath to. Romulus is petrified of the bathroom. And here's the thing is this also open my eyes to some other issues that he's having. So let me explain what Romulus does is he doesn't like the water anyway. He does not like, uh, he will, he will get into a stream. He doesn't want to be like submerged though. Okay. He'll stand in it, stuff like that. I'll have like a little kiddie pool and he'll like put his paws in it, drink it drink the water, but he didn't want to like lay down in it. You ever had a dog that will just lay down in water? Well, those are probably easy to give baths to. Romulus, for whatever reason, he already doesn't like that. And the other thing he doesn't like is to be in a small confined room um, with the door shut. And I don't know if it's the tile. I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is. Maybe he's reading body language. I'm not sure what it is. But I decided, okay, this weekend I have to give him a bath. So I gave Bruno, my bulldog, a bath. And then I started drawing at the water. And Rami, he'll come kind of into the bathroom and look. And I was like, okay, come on, Romulus. And he saw the water and he'll go up to the tub. And as soon as I make a motion toward him, he'll he'll run off. So I was like, okay. He's freaked out. And it's very hard to train a dog that if it's something that it's in their nature to just be 
I mean, completely petrified of it. it it's a, a daunting task to get them to tolerate it. Okay. So I've tried everything. I've tried giving him treats. I've tried to encourage him to go into the bathroom. And I've got to the point where he will walk into the bathroom if I'm there, but he only goes in so far and he'll look at the water running in the tub. But as, as soon as you, you know, like look at him or motion toward him, he'll, he'll run off. So I got him at least somewhat comfortable. So I said, okay, my wife made these meatballs and he really likes these meatballs. Okay. Um, I might every once in a while I'll put a few little uh, meatball crumbs in his, in his bowl um, with his food. But you know, it's, it's what we call in the training world, a high value treat. Okay. Not just your everyday milk bone dog treat that they're like, eh, I get these all the time a high value treat. So I got this and I even warmed it up. So it was really, you know, you can really smell it and gave him a little bit. And oh, he wanted this meatball. I was like, okay, I'm going to give you just a little bit. Got him up the stairs, got him in the bathroom. As soon as I grabbed for the door to shut it, he, he ran out. And I even got to the point where I was standing in the tub trying to get him. And as soon as he saw, and I said, Romulus come and he would come in and he would eat the meatball and then go right back out. And I said, okay, come, come. And he would come in and I would say, sit. And he would then go outside the bathroom and sit. And I go, no, no, come, sit. And he would not sit inside the bathroom. And he almost knew what was going to happen. So I got him all the way in. I went for the door and I didn't go fast. You got to go slow because you don't want to traumatize your dog because all you're doing is reinforcing that negative stimulus or negative whatever if you then trap him in the bathroom and now you just, their fear just came true. Oh my God, if I come in here, I'm going to be trapped and I can't get out and it's the worst thing ever. I'm definitely never coming in here again. So all your hard work was for nothing and you might've even made it worse. So I'm the, the point is you're, you want them to willfully say, yes, I am coming in here. No matter if you're bribing them or not, they're still making the decision. So I'm like, okay, so I got to the point where Half the meatball's gone, and he didn't give a shit about the meatball anymore. He's like, "I ain't, bro, I ain't coming in this bathroom. I know what's about to happen. I ain't getting a bath. And I was like, okay, what can I do to get him in the bathroom? And then a light bulb went off. His remote control car. The thing that he's so obsessed with that all his training goes out the window if I turn this thing on and start driving around the backyard. So I went and I have a couple of remote control cars that we don't play with anymore because we got some cheap ones just to see what his reaction would be. So I had this $20 one he got for Christmas that it's very robust, but it's not fast at all. But as soon as it starts moving, he wants to attack it. And he doesn't really tear it up. He just like runs around with it in his mouth. He's just very proud when he, when he catches it. So I said, okay, I'm going to get this one because I know this one he can kind of, you know, have and he's not going to really mess it up and it's slow enough that... It's fine for the bathroom. So I went and got this toy out of the shed. And he knows when I open the shed what's in there. And so he's getting excited. And so I take this toy and I put it right in the bathroom. He grabs it. He starts running around with it. Cool. Engage him. He's, 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 he understands it's playtime. Okay? Positive association. So I then drive the car, get it from him again, and drive it into the bathroom. And he goes in and gets it again. And now... After the second or third time or third or fourth time, I have it right over by the bathtub. 
and I'm just driving it kind of back and forth alongside the bathtub. And he's like, oh, I want that car, but man, I don't want to go in that in that bathroom. And it was the one time that I saw him decide, <laughs> I'm watching him in the backyard, he's running up to the fence because there's a deer back, back behind our fence. Um, it's the one time that he decided whatever, no matter how much he wanted that car, it was worse to go in the bathroom. So finally, I got him to sit in the bathroom with the door open, and I sat and I said, "Here, here's your car," and I let him play with the car, door open, you know. And he was he was still real nervous, like looking around, not wanting to, you know. Um, he you know he had the back his back to the door, so he could just kind of go backwards real quick. And I in my bathroom that I washed them in is small enough. He's so big that he has to be almost in the bathtub for me to be able to shut the door, basically. Because um, my wife was cleaning the other bathroom, and that was it's our bathroom, and we didn't. It's a disaster when the dogs, you know, when you give a dog a bath, you don't want to do it in your clean bathroom, okay? You want a separate bathroom. Anyway, so let me try to shorten this up. So finally, I got him in, got him comfortable playing with the car, and I shut the door behind him because it's time for the bath. He starts somewhat freaking out, realizing he's trapped, and he goes and kind of pins himself against the door, wanting out. And I was like, all right, buddy, no, we're, we're going to, you know, it's bath time. He would not go in the bathtub. Like I said, if I forced him into the bathtub, two things are going to happen. One, he's 155 pounds, and I'm probably going to get my ass kicked because he's not going to bite me, but I'm going to feel like I've been in a fight trying to get a 155-pound dog in a bathtub he doesn't want to get into, okay? I don't want to have that fight on a slick tile floor. Two, I don't want to traumatize him because if I ever want to give him a bath again, this is the worst thing that you can do. This was my complaint when I took him to the vet uh, for his his shots uh, and things uh, that I'll talk about again um, after this story. So I, so I, I, I encouraged him to play with his car. And I was like, hey, Rami, here's your car. Look, get your car. And he started to calm down and he would get his car and then look to the door. And so I said, okay, how can I do this? You know what? The bathroom's going to get messed up anyway. So I just put a small towel, got uh, the dog shampoo. I got the towel soaking wet. And I just put the shampoo on him. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you know even dry shampoo, if I try to put it on him, he freaks out. He does not like it. He doesn't like me putting stuff on him. Uh, he'll let me brush him and pet him, obviously, and stuff. But he just, when you try to put something on him, water or an ointment, he just doesn't like it. And so I got him calm. He was playing with his toy, not really paying attention. And I put the shampoo on, and then I put the wet towel, and I just started kind of scrubbing his fur. Just not getting him soaking wet, but just at least one area at a time. And I did that and went back and forth. Here's your car. Put a little bit more shampoo. And I did that for about five minutes. Now, I probably got 75% of him clean. I didn't really get his his face or his underneath his chin. I didn't get his chest really good or like the front of his chest. I got his undercarriage. I got the important spots, his back, his haunches, um, his legs. And then I rinsed off the towel and 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 put clean water. And the whole time, giving him lots of encouragement, soft voice, not forcing him to do anything. If he was wanting to sit over by the door, I let him sit over by the door. He whined a couple times. 
and but I just constantly gave him good encouragement. Now, once he was all rinsed and I was like, okay, he's he's done. I dried him off, told him good boy, um, tried to get him in his car. And the hard part was getting him out because every time I tried to open the door because the, the door swung to the inside, uh, he would be so far up against the door, I couldn't really even get the door open. So I had to, once again, kind of encourage him to come over by his car, got the door open, and he ran out. And I just let him oops, hit the microphone. I'm talking with my hands. I apologize. Um, I let him run out. I didn't yell at him. I didn't try to get him and just let him do his thing. Um, and then I also kept the stayed in the bathroom. And then um, when I, I gave him some encouragement and reward, uh, I tried to do it close to the bathroom. He didn't want to come back in the bathroom. But I let him see that, hey, you know, I'm not going to make you come back in the bathroom if that's not what you want. Um, but I still want him interacting and kind of looking in the bathroom. So after he kind of calmed down, I gave him some more treats, got him back upstairs. Um, after he got dried off, I did some more stuff with his car in the bathroom where he had to go in there, but I was not in the bathroom. So he didn't have any fear of me locking him in the bathroom and just trying to give that, end it with a positive association in the bathroom. Now, with all that being said, I didn't really do a whole lot in getting him to think the bathroom was a good thing. He is probably never going to look forward to a bath. He is probably never going to willfully just jump in the bathtub and be like, I'm good with being in the bathroom. What I'm trying to do is get him to tolerate it, to get him to understand that, yeah, I understand you don't like this, but you're going to do it and it's not going to be as bad as you think it is. That's it. And after it's done, you don't have to worry about it for a while. So that's what I'm trying to do. And it made me realize that this is why he probably freaked out in the vet's office because the vet's office is a small, confined room and then, of course, the vet came in with his mask on, acting all weird, come, approaching him weird. And the whole thing was just a, a terrible experience for him. And um, I have a very good vet. He's very good at the medical side of things. But um, there's three vets there. One of them is a very good doctor. He's not very good at understanding dog behavior, um, unfortunately, and especially dogs like this. And maybe smaller dogs or dogs that are just a little bit more personable, a collie or something. But dogs like Romulus, he has he's so afraid of those dogs, it just makes it worse. And so Rami has to go to the vet again in about a month to get Bordetello and all that stuff. And I'm nervous because I know that um, the doctor has a particular method of how he interacts with these kind of dogs, and it's never good and they don't realize that they're making it worse. And I'm going to try to talk to them beforehand and say, hey, can we do it my way this time? Because your way clearly doesn't work. Because you can't approach my dog like you're trying to approach him and think that just throwing a muzzle on him is is is, and then forcing touch on him, that that's not going to freak him out. You're never going to get to that point. We got to get to the point where my dog is comfortable with you and then once we put the muzzle on and all that stuff, he's already kind of gotten to know you. Um, I don't want him meeting you for the first time as you creepily come around the corner and come at my dog with a needle and with a muzzle on and him, you know, pretending like he's not going to react. So there's some similarities to that room in the bathroom. And so I know that he's already going to be in a heightened state. 
So I'm going to try to convince my vet, hey, can we do it like the last appointment of the day and do it in the lobby where it's a little bit more open and you meet my dog beforehand and not confine him in a room and then come in there as a stranger. Um, But I digress. I will definitely update you on that when it happens. But this right here, um, this story I'm trying to get you guys to understand that Romulus is awesome in a confined space that is the car where he'll sit in there all day and he's fine with it. I'll sit there and talk to somebody right outside my truck for 30 minutes and he won't bark, he won't whine, he'll just sit there in the back of the car, uh, in the back seat, not the like, not the bed of the truck. Um, but the bathroom, for whatever reason, I have no idea why, there's a trigger in his brain that that is something that he does not want any part of. You can get it better with the will and the discipline, the methods. You can get it better. I'm never going to get him where he's so comfortable in the bathroom. He'll just sit in there for 30 minutes um, and he'll be cool with it. So the, the goal in that situation should always be not to traumatize him further and to just get him to begrudgingly go along with it for a little bit and not fight you, but he's pro- I'm never going to convince him to like it. Okay. So just always understand that no matter how much you nurture, you might never be able to completely overwrite their nature. Okay. So let's get into some listener questions. And there's one particular listener question that I wanted, uh, to get into. Uh, I had a few, um, a couple, but um, there's just one that I, I just want to clarify some things just because I like it when people say, hey, you mentioned this before and they need some clarification or they want some more details, okay? So I have a listener that recently got his Conan Corso puppy and he had another dog. And it's something that I talk about a lot because I see people that have multiple Conan Corsos uh, on YouTube Mainly, I talk about YouTube because I don't know that there's a lot of Conan Corso podcasts, but you'll see professional trainers and you'll see like, quote unquote, influencers with Conan Corsos, but it's in a very controlled environment uh, with the trainers and with the people who actually own Conan Corsos, it's either their only dog or they have another Conan Corso. Um, There's a couple that have other dogs, but um, they, I guess, didn't have problems with them or, or anything. Okay, so what I try to always talk about is my experience with my other dogs. Now, when I got Romulus, I had two other dogs, an old English bulldog and an English bulldog. Rocky has since passed my old English bulldog, but my bulldog Bruno, who's an English bulldog, is still there, and he's extremely dog aggressive, extremely dominant, and he has a lot of medical things like he didn't see very well, he didn't hear very well, so his his default setting is when he can kind of see kind of a blob that he knows is a dog and he can smell a dog or whatever else, he gets very aggressive anyway. He's always been like that. He's always going to be like that. Um, he got along great with Rami when Rami was a puppy, but um, he was doing a lot of dominance play that I wasn't really correcting. And why I wasn't correcting it is because um, I was always told 
and taught that you let dogs kind of work it out and they'll figure out who the alpha is. Okay, so this listener has a pug and um, he said that his pug has always been really good and now it might be showing some dominance toward the Cane Corso, some dominance behavior that he's never really seen before. And the, the big thing that I want to really share with you guys is, is one, your dog, you really don't know them until you've put them in other uh, lots of different situations. And two, you can put them in a million situations around other dogs until another dog lives with you. You haven't really seen at all because it's way different. You'll have dogs, that, oh, my dog isn't dog aggressive at all. They love other dogs and they're great playing, but once that dog comes home and it starts sleeping where they're used to sleeping or sharing food or sharing attention, it changes the dynamic, okay? And so he's running into this issue and he was asking specifically, how did you convince your bulldog that he wasn't the alpha anymore? And so, like I said, I was always taught you just let the dogs work it out. And I thought that that was the right thing to do in the sense of you don't intervene at all. So when Bruno was kind of doing some dominance play, I was like, yeah, Bruno's the adult dog. Romulus is the uh, younger dog. And Bruno was kind of, you know, raising him right and giving him corrections and stuff. But Bruno was just kind of bullying him just a little bit. But I was letting it go because Romulus was, you know, already his size, you know, Bruno's size. And I was like, they can, you know, neither one can really hurt the other one. Uh, you know, my bulldog is, he's just, he didn't have many teeth. He has a big underbite. You know, he's not really going to hurt Romulus. I kind of knew that. And he was all kind of all show and no go. He, he, he's really not going to bite you or anything like that. He just growled and made a lot of noise. Anyway. Somewhere around the time when Romulus started having testosterone go through his body, his balls, um, he decided, I'm not going to let this dog dominate me anymore. And so the first mistake that I probably should have corrected is just let them interact, let Bruno give him corrections, but not let him just do over-domineering play and just let them play, but not dominance play. But that's really all Bruno knows how to do. Even when I play with him and wrestle with him, he tries to dominate me. He's just a very dominant dog. And it's a very common thing in bulldogs, believe it or not. Um, and so is dog aggression, by the way. Now, Bruno, this is really the only other dog besides my other bulldog, Rocky, that he's ever gotten along with. Um, and I think it was just because he was a puppy, um, Bruno didn't really feel threatened by him. Well, Romulus kind of snapped at him a couple times when Bruno um, was trying to dominate him. And the first couple times, it, it took Bruno off guard. The next few times that it happened, it was an all-in-out fight because Bruno, a, a dog's going to do one of two things when another dog shows some kind of aggression. It's going to submit or it's going to fight, Okay. Those are its two choices. Either it's fine with being a lower member, pack member saying, okay, bro, you're you're running shit. Uh, I'll back down. Or that is like, nah, nah. Uh, we're going to fight and we're going to see who is really running the show. And that's what would happen. And Bruno would get bit up pretty good. 
And just because Romulus was bigger at this point, quite a bit bigger, and Bruno is just not, he's extremely tough, like durable. He's just not, he's never going to win in a fight. I mean, Bulldogs, they don't have the physique <laughs> for fighting. Back when they were used for bull baiting, they looked way different than what they do now, just so you know. Go look at an old English Bulldog, and that's more the athletic version of the English Bulldog, okay? That's that's more of a work, a true working type example, okay? Um, anyway, I digress. So Bruno, he was not backing down with his dominant behavior. Um, and I would break it up early enough where sometimes when you break up a dog fight, all you did is de- delay the inevitable. Just like people, like if you've ever been around kids or something, you break up a little fight and they, and it was right when it was getting started, you might have just hit the pause button because now they both, they, they're like, oh man, I, it, it's not worked out. So the problem is, is when you break it up and you don't work out that problem and you separate them. It's one of the worst things that you can do in the beginning is go, you go over here, you go over here, and you just don't let them be around each other because then they're just stewing. And, and they're thinking to themselves, once I see this dog again, it's on. Because you didn't resolve anything. And you didn't even uh, resolve it in the, in, the, in, the, in the way of like, hey, I'm the one in charge. You're not allowed to do this. You guys need to work it out. Um, and there's methods that you can use to do that. And I'll you know, talk about later, I guess, if, if, uh, if I remember. Because this, you know, you know how I get. Okay, so... Lo and behold, it keeps happening again and again. And I've said it before. I thought Romulus was just an aggressive dog. And I was like, oh my God, my Connie Corso is just turning aggressive. And it was weird because he was at the dog park. He was getting along with all these other dogs to the point where he was getting abused by other dogs. Like other dogs would kind of pick on him, which is a normal thing too when your dog you know, starts to get to some testosterone and they start to get some size. Other dogs get intimidated, so they try to dominate them. Rami usually was somewhat submissive, and he didn't. He re- really wasn't even at the stage where he was um, sticking up for himself. But he would get home, and then him and Bruno would get into it. And I was like, okay. And I was trying to figure out for the longest time, okay, is he just like scared at the dog park? So he comes home and takes it out on Bruno. I, and I, I didn't understand why because. Like I said in the beginning of the podcast where that one trainer was saying, you know, the dogfight itself, there's uh, there's all the precursors you should be watching for b- before that, that, that led to this. And we were doing, we had all those bad habits and we weren't recognizing what Bruno was doing that was really the, the, the beginning of the fight, which is his dominance uh, in his body language and his posture he was doing a lot of licking his chops, staring at Rami, um, posturing up to him, not backing down, walking through him, not not moving or um, resource guarding. All those things. He was doing, you name it, he was doing it. You know, um, like now, I, I really watch even when they go out to go to the bathroom. Like, like if Rami goes and pees on something, then Bruno immediately goes out and pees over it and then, and then uh, peels out. You know, he's scratching the... The it it you know scent marking is what it's called where he's like scratching the the uh, the grass and kind of peeling out. Then I really really pay attention to their behavior because that a lot of times well that's a dominant thing 
and Bruno's trying to say, no, you ain't running shit. And I, and I have to usually make a instant correction when they come in and make sure that Bruno understands that you're going over to your bed and that, you know, Romulus, whatever Romulus is trying to do, you're not going to try to prevent that from happening. Okay. And so, um, I'm getting ahead of myself talking about, you know, what, what you do once you realize that one is trying to be dominant. That's, that really shouldn't be. Um, but I digress. So Romulus was coming back from the dog park and sometimes him and Bruno were getting into it. And I just wasn't recognizing the precursors and the signs and, and what Bruno was doing. Once I realized that it was Bruno and it took a while. Um, and I think I told you, you know, I had camera set up in my house and I noticed that it, it, that Bruno was fine with Romulus. When we weren't there, he was fine. So when we were there, the fights would start. Sometimes immediately, as soon as we came home, within a couple of minutes I was being home, they would start fighting. And once I started looking and watching and observing their behaviors changed once we came home, it's because we were not trying to be that leader and they were trying to work it out amongst themselves who was running the show. That's not a good thing. Once we started taking charge, then they have to take less charge. I'm not going to say they're not still going to have little spats and try to figure out the pecking order. But the biggest thing is this. It doesn't matter who is more dominant out of which dog that you have. You don't let them fight because that's not what you... you, They have to understand that there's rules and there's parameters and they have to be disciplined. And you need to do everything you can to make sure that they don't make those decisions. And it's a lot of work because you got to really pay attention to their body language, how they interact with each other. And it's a fine line between separating them and keeping them together and having to tolerate each other. Now, the question specifically that I want to address that he said is, is um, how did you decide who was dominant, basically? Okay, let me read it, just make sure that I'm, I'm getting this right. And so he said, how did you get your bulldog to understand he was not alpha? My male pug is starting to show those signs, which is weird because he didn't seem to have that personality of alpha. So, um, and it's not even the alpha, it's just, it's uh, sometimes it's, Sometimes it's misinterpretation that we're thinking that they want to be alpha when they're, it's, it's fear-based or it's resource guarding or they think that they're protecting something. It's not even that they're wanting to run stuff. It, it might be a fear-based thing, okay? Um, so identifying what it is will help you. So how do you identify what it is is really pay attention when it's happening. And I always encourage people because they're so cheap to buy those cameras that that connect you know via Wi-Fi to your phone and and leave the house and watch their interaction when you're not there, and then uh, keep those cameras rolling when you do come home. Uh, at first, the only thing I did was just set up my iPad and just hit record, um, and and watch those interactions when you come home. Watch when you sit on the couch uh, what your dogs are doing um, to get your attention to uh, get each other's attention, whatever. 
observe. And you might actually see that you're making some mistakes. And the common mistake is that sometimes you're giving your dogs too much attention. And now they're competing for your attention. And so you don't let them choose when they're getting attention because if you choose uh, or if you let them choose, like they, let's say, walk up to you and put their paw on you and you pet them, then that dog is probably going to now resource guard. He turns around, he sits on your foot, and he's making sure he's, he's claiming you is basically what a, a dog does. Anytime they walk up, if they jump up in your lap, if they sit in front of you to get pet and you give in to that, you don't realize what they just did is they said, this is my bitch. <laughs> essentially, is that that dog just got reinforced that it wants something from you and you're and they're getting it and they're the one that demanded that, okay? And so you are a resource to it and it needs to guard that. It doesn't want to share that. It doesn't want to spread the love. Now, if you have two very submissive dogs, they could both come up and be trying to get in your lap like Bruno and Rocky were like this. They would both jump up in my lap uh, or in between my legs and try to get pet, and they really didn't compete for it. They were fine. I mean, they would get like mildly irritated, but they didn't fight or anything like that. And But they would constantly be, be trying to get, and that's fine if you have those type of dogs. You cannot take a dog that has any kind of dominance or reactiveness and put them in that situation because you are just begging for a dog fight to happen. And so I didn't, it wasn't as much as convincing Bruno that he, uh, who Alpha, who was Alpha between him and Rami. It's that they had to understand that I'm the one in charge. They don't need to worry about between them is neither one of them are going to get something or demand something from me. So Bruno to this day will, every time we sit down, especially if Romulus isn't around, he walks up and tries to get attention from my wife or myself and that we never allow it, okay? We never allow it unless we say, like, for instance, I took Romulus upstairs uh, um, in my office and so my wife can sit with Bruno because she likes to sit with him on the couch, which is fine. But she has to be the one that tells Bruno, come here, jump up on the couch And then when she gets up, make him get down. Because if you don't go through those steps and you just let the dog just decide and jump up and then lay on you, that dog in its mind made the decision and it thinks it's running shit. No different than if you allow your dog to walk in front of you on a walk, it thinks it's in the alpha protector role and it needs to make decisions. If I don't trust this person, I need to bark or I need to pull or I need to lunge or I need to snap at them or whatever else. If you have a dominant dog and you let them walk in front of you, you're asking for trouble. And so you really need to make sure and pay attention to the behaviors that you're encouraging first, because I was punishing Romulus or Bruno when it was really me that needed the correction because I didn't realize I was encouraging this negative behavior. And that I was confusing the dogs when I was allowing them to come up and they come up and I pet them. And the other one goes, oh, that's all you have to do to get pet. So they want to walk up. And if that other dog's there, they're both of them. One of them wants attention. The other one wants to keep the attention. 
if they're especially both of them have those um, dominant or aggressive tendencies, you're going to have a fight mo- more times than not. But now we don't have fights. Um, we did have one not too long ago. So, you know, not too too bad. Um, but it was first one in probably two and a half, three months. And it was one of those that you could tell it was brewing for a little while. And then it just, you know, it was one of those things. Um, it, if you have dogs that have very dominant personalities, it's going to happen. It's just, you don't want it to happen to a degree that you can't control. They're going to have little spats is what I call it, but you don't want an all, all out war or fight on your hand. Okay. And so you want something that you can easily control. And this one, once again, was 100% Bruno just trying to encroach on Romulus's territory. And Romulus, you know, kind of lets him get away with it for a little while. And then he'll growl a little bit. And then it gets to a point where you can't allow it to happen anymore. Think of it, <laughs> if you want to use a terrible analogy like global politics, but think about this, you know, it's like, you, you might have some, you know, buddy lob some missiles or like a terrorist attack or something like that. And you um, you do a show of force or maybe somebody launches some missiles like North Korea. And so you'll patrol some aircraft carriers around their coastline or something. And maybe they'll even threaten a few things and then you threaten something back. Or maybe they'll blow up a non-important um, target, like an old military base in a, in a country that you're occupying and, and you do the same thing. And then it just slowly escalates until it's an all-out war. But it usually doesn't start with someone nuking the other one, right? It starts with just a few little things, you know? Back and forth. And then once Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor, it's like, okay, it's on. We're going to war. Um, and the dogs are kind of like that too. You can usually see it coming. It's usually not going to just be a fight out of nowhere, okay? So it's something that I still have to manage we still have to really watch Romulus and Bruno's interactions. I can tell you right now, it's 90% uh, Bruno and 10% Romulus. Because when Romulus gets up in the morning and and Bruno comes out, because uh, uh, Bruno, we separate him at night. When Bruno comes into the room that Romulus is in, Bruno, he just has this sour look on his face, but Romulus will run up to Bruno and lick him. When Bruno just is like, get off me, dude. And you can tell Bruno's just like, he didn't want anything, any interaction with Romulus, but Romulus will follow Bruno around outside. Anytime Bruno goes out, Romulus will follow him. You'll see Bruno laying down somewhere. You'll see Romulus go and lay right next to him. You, I, I see that stuff. So when you pay attention to that, then you know, okay, I know which side is, I know where the confusion is. I know where the issue is. Bruno has never accepted his role as as in a lower pack position. And every once in a while, he tries to elevate that. But it's our job, my wife and I, to remind him on a daily basis, you are not getting this thing that you think that is owed to you, which is attention. I get to eat first. I get to go on a walk first. Nope, you don't get any of that first. And I go out of my way to feed him second, no matter if I'm giving him his supplements, no matter, like I'll give him a pill and I'll wrap it in a little piece of turkey. Um, Romulus isn't on any pills, but I still give Romulus a piece of turkey first before I give Bruno his pill to let him know you get 
this resource second, okay? And so it's very important that you make sure to establish those rules for yourself before you start establishing those rules for your dogs. And once you start showing that pug who's been the center of attention his entire life up to this point, when anytime he wanted something, you probably don't even realize you were giving it to him. You're letting him sit in your lap. You're letting him uh, hang out with you. You're taking him everywhere. And all of a sudden he sees that changing. He's not going to like it. So you have to make it crystal clear by enforcing those new standards and setting those parameters and those rule, those roles. Um, and it's going to take some time because at first they're going to be confused. Like, why is this changing? I thought we had a good thing, bro. And you're, you have to, nope, we got a new pack member. So you're going to have to modify. And one thing about dogs that are as fantastic, they will adapt. Okay. They will adapt. You just got to give them some time and you have to be that good pack leader. You have to make those decisions for them. Don't let them make those decisions. Okay. And if you take that leadership role, then you're going to be good when you're there. How are they going to act when you're not there? That is always going to be kind of the $1,000 question. Bruno has gotten his butt kicked enough that he doesn't really want to fight Romulus. That's the thing I realized because why doesn't he try that aggressive behavior when we're not there? Because he doesn't want that. So when we're here, it's not about aggression or dominance. It's not even about being the alpha. It's about resource guarding. It's about him saying, I want the humans to give me food, affection, praise. I don't want them to share it with you. Because when we're not there, we could leave them home alone, not in pens or kennels, for eight hours a day. And there's never a problem. The only time they've ever gotten a fight when we're not there is because of the neighbor's dog um, was getting into it with Bruno through the fence. And Romulus went out and gave Bruno a correction. Bruno was already kind of hyped up. And so it turned into a, a, a fight. And that was like one time in two years. Since then, I've, I redid my fence. So there's no way the dogs can really get to each other. Um, or even see each other through the fence. Uh, Bruno will still try to bark at the other dog. And uh, a trait of Connie Corsos is if your another dog's energy is really elevated, they they don't like it. They they want energy to be at a very calm level. Why? Because they're they're guardian breed type dogs, and so that's what they react to is that negative or positive, just an uptick of energy. They're going to be reactive to it. If they're a very if they're very keyed into those guardian instincts, some kind of courses um, have had him bred bred out of them a little bit more. Romulus has not. <laughs> He's very, uh, very, very um, keyed into that. And so if the energy uptick goes up, he's going to be reactive to it. And usually he just stands over Bruno and gives him a dom- he, you know, kind of puts his head over his his shoulder blades and his tail straight up and stuff and. And as long as Bruno submits and the sense kind of puts his head down and doesn't look at Romulus, it's fine. If Bruno kind of snaps at Romulus, it's going to be a fight. Um, like I said, it really doesn't happen very often when we're not here. It's really, 
You know, I've seen video of Romulus going out and giving Bruno a correction, and Bruno almost every time just submits and just, you know, just walks away. Um, so I can tell that it's not a – they're not competing for dominance. They're competing for resources. So understand – I guess the, the here's the – to summarize, you got to understand what your dog is wanting and what what behavior it's truly exhibiting. Aggression, anger, fear – Resource guarding, what? Once you identify that, then you can start training specifically to that. But while you're trying to figure it out, make sure that you are the pack leader and that you have clear uh, clear understanding that you make the rules and give them lots of rules to follow. Don't just say, I'm the one making the rules and then don't, and don't put any rules. How can you enforce laws if there's no laws, right? So you enforce the rules like, for instance, when I come home, Romulus goes outside, Bruno goes to his bed. I, Romulus goes and waits by the shed. I go burn some energy off Romulus. And then after I'm done, I give Bruno some attention. Okay? Um, and we used to have fights as soon as we got home because they're both competing for attention. That doesn't happen anymore because they clearly understand. Bruno understands now better. He's not perfect, but he understands better if I follow these rules, as soon as mom or dad gets home, I'm going to get what I want eventually. I don't get it right away, but I will get it eventually. If you don't ever give it to them and you go, dude, you screwed up, you ain't getting it, then they go, well, what do I, show me what I have to do to get what I want. And 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 over time, they're creatures of habit. You got to establish those habits for them. And so Bruno has a clear understanding of what to do at feeding time, what to do when we sleep, what we do when we're getting ready for work, what we do when we come home, what we do when, you know, when Romulus is reacting to um, the mailman coming to the door or whatever, what his role is and what Romulus's role. I didn't let them decide for themselves. I had them um, understand what what rules and parameters that I had by enforcing them for setting them and then enforcing them. And it's, it's a kind of a tier system. You got to start very slow with certain things like feeding is a, is a, is a great thing uh, with when you're sitting on the couch and where they need to be and give them rules, what to do before you open the door to let them out, what you do before they walk out the door on a walk, what they're supposed to do at at every single stage to get what they want, you have to put some kind of of uh, control in there, where you say to get the food you have to sit, to uh, or to lay down before I open the door and you go out it, you have to sit and lay down. You have to ha- show compliance to get anything. There is nothing for free in my house. If you're going to get a treat, if you're going to get, I don't even want Bruno on his bed, but before I give you your pill and your treat, you need to go over to your bed. It establishes the hierarchy that starts with me. They don't need to worry about who the next in line is as much except for understanding how I'm, how I'm uh, delegating who goes where, when, and all that stuff. Okay. And so all he has to know is I'm in charge. He doesn't really need to know what comes after that as much. 
He's just going to kind of get it once he sees that Romulus gets the attention before him. Romulus gets the food before him. Okay? Um, He's not allowed, like Romulus is allowed to go up and lick Bruno's bowl when Bruno's done. It's not vice versa. Okay? So Bruno knows, Romulus sits there and waits for Bruno to finish eating. As soon as Bruno walks away, Romulus goes and licks his bowl. Okay? But Bruno does not get to lick Romulus's bowl, ever. So those little things, and some of it's going to be trial and error because your dog's going to react differently than others um, with with how they, they do certain things, uh, with feeding or sleeping arrangements or what their uh, area is. The, the big thing that has helped me is that the dogs both have their safe zones, okay? And their safe zones are where one dog is allowed to go, but the other one, they're not allowed. Like Romulus might be in a higher status than Bruno. He's still not allowed to go lay in Bruno's bed ever. And when he does it, I get him up and make him go to his bed because he might think he's running shit. He ain't. I am. And it's clear, and you got to make that clear. They do not get to make any decision. They might be in a higher position than the other dog. They definitely ain't higher than me. So how, bro, how can you go lay in that bed when I didn't tell you to? No, because you're trying to show that other dog that that you're above. Nah, you ain't above me though. So go lay in your bed. Bruno go lays in his. And so they both feel safe and they don't have to guard their area because they're not allowed in each other's areas. Okay, and establish those boundaries and they don't need to be reminded only a little bit. You'll still have to manage that. You'll still have to remind them, but it's going to be, you know, those clear pathways to success where now you're just, if you can get to the point where all you're doing is positive reinforcement instead of negative then your your training is going to come up, come along a lot further. But in the beginning, it's very hard because a lot of dogs, including Kane Corsos, don't react well to that negative stimulus. They react to that positive. And so if you can get them to understand this is your area, this is yours, or when I come home, this is what you do, this is what you do. When it's time to eat, this is what you do, this is what you do. Then all you're doing is just reminding them, subtle reminders, you don't really have to be hard on them. Okay, just subtle reminders. Because um, it's so much easier when you go, bro, come on, you know the rules. And they, they're like, okay, yeah, you're right, I do. Okay, so hopefully I answered that question. Um, you know, to, to review, you, you really got to pay attention to what you're doing. And you got to be aware and really watch the situation so you know that you're diagnosing it correctly. You're no different than a doctor um, if there's something wrong with you, you, go in the doctor's office. You don't want him to assume and just start throwing pills down your throat. You want them to run all the tests and try to rule certain things out before they really figure out this is the best method, okay? It's the same thing. You really want to observe and pay attention and, and, and pay attention to yourself and what you're doing and what you're not doing. And it's going to make everything else go a little bit easier. And over time, and it is going to take some time, it could take a week, it could take a month, it could take uh, many months. And then you're going to be in the management phase where it's going to look like the problem is solved. It's going to rear its ugly head if those ba- if those behaviors change back to just bad habits either on you or your dog. So you, you just got to make sure to, to maintain that. Okay, 
Well, I've been talking for almost an hour and a half. The last thing that I want to mention is is uh, I was watching this other dog trainer who I actually like a lot um, on YouTube, and he was talking about uh, uh, guardian dogs and guardian breeds, and and he gave a clear definition that that I never really heard before. Um, and it makes sense to me. I'm not saying that he invented this or this is like the hard and fast rule, but this this made sense to me because I hear people say all the time, watch dog, guard dog, protection dog, attack dog, whatever. And and those are just words and no one really knows what they mean. And he really broke it down from an industry standpoint of what he means when he talks about that. So he talks about like, hey, this dog is a good watchdog. Well, what's a watchdog? He said, you know, a watchdog is a dog that you can put it in an area and he's just going to watch that area and alert to anybody that comes into that area. He's just generally watching that area. Okay. And then a level up from that is a is a guardian dog. Okay. Or a guard dog. And a guard dog is going to guard a specific thing. Okay. Like a person. Okay. And... And if somebody comes at that person, they're going to react, okay? Um, and that's, you know, a kind of corso is that just right out of the gate. Is That's why they call it a guardian breed. No training, they just do it, okay? Now, you can train dogs to be guard dogs, but that's what a guard dog is. Now, a protection dog, that's a level up from a guard dog because it's the exact same thing as going to protect a thing but only when it's given a command to react. And then you can also give it a command not to react, like a release command. Um, you see dogs doing bite work, you know, where they they will attack on command and they will uh, release on command. That's a protection dog. They were there to protect something, but they are so so highly trained that they're not going to do it unless they are told to do it. Okay, then there's an attack dog and you don't see these as much. You see these like in war and you see the drug dealers using these or cartel members where maybe the cops bust in and the dog will attack on command and then there is no release command. You're just fleeing the scene and they're kind of disposable. They're there to do your bidding, but they're not there to ever, they're, they're there to, to, to just attack. Okay, and and it's just a one trick pony for one purpose, and it's really not a pet. Okay, so when you're, it's important to make those distinctions so you understand what you're trying to get out of your Cane Corso. My Cane Corso is a guard dog. He's a guardian breed, and I use him as a guard dog. He's not a personal protection dog. I do not need him to attack on command. I do not need him to release on command. And a guard dog is a very dangerous thing if you don't know what you're doing. And it's dangerous for me as well because you're allowing them to assess the situation and make that decision. The difference is that Romulus, what I'm trying to do is have have him skirt the line between a guard dog and a protection dog. I don't want to give him an attack command, but I don't want him to assess danger in situations that aren't dangerous. And so I put him in those situations that are not dangerous, but I don't let him get confused by allowing uh, 
interactions that could be uh, negative or they could be positive, but I don't want him to, I want him to know if someone's walking up to him to grab him, that that's never a good thing. And so that's why I've used my, my methods to allow him to meet people in a different way that there's no way to misconstrue it. If I allow him to go up and sniff somebody or he sees me interacting with the person, he knows that this person's good. But he knows if I've never let that person do that and I've never let that person to come up, that some stranger is not allowed to just come up and grab at me or grab my wife or grab at him. And so if you understand what you're training toward and you make that delineation, are you trying to have a watchdog? Are you trying to have a guard dog? Are you trying to have a protection dog? Or are you trying to have an a, a attack dog? <laughs> Which I don't know why you shouldn't have an attack dog. It's like Michael Vick shit, you know, where you're have like a dog fighting ring. So attack dog shouldn't even be in the mix. But if you don't want one of those things, why do you have a Connie Corso? Is my question to you. And there's going to be people out there that they they go, well, because I think the breed is cool. Okay. Understand that it was bred for one of those three things. Watchdog, guard dog, protection dog. And you're going to have some issues with trying to get it to be like Lassie. I'm not saying it can't. What I'm saying is, you know, if you know, I don't know how to, you buy a Ferrari to go fast. If you don't want to go fast, it's actually bad for a Ferrari. It's actually bad for, for the, the way that the engine runs if you don't redline that thing every once in a while, okay? And so when it breaks down and it's not reliable and you go, but I want this thing to get 20 miles to the gallon, I want it to be reliable. Well, that's not what you bought. You should have bought a Honda Civic, but you bought a Ferrari and it's built for one purpose. And can you make a Ferrari through tuning and through some aftermarket stuff more reliable? Can you make it more fuel efficient? Yeah, but why not just buy the Honda Civic? Why buy the Ferrari and turn it into a Honda Civic? Just like you wouldn't buy a Honda Civic and try to make it into a Ferrari. Some people do, right? The tuner kids try to make it into an 800 horsepower monster, just like you see people that take Labradors and try to turn them into attack dogs. It's not, that's, that's not what their purpose is. So you're never, you're always going to have a watered down version. So I'm not saying that your Connie Corso is going to be aggressive or mean. What I'm saying is it's in its nature to want to be a watchdog, a, a guard dog or protection dog. So if you're not using them for that, understand that that's what it wants to do. And you, and you better be getting that energy out in some positive way and you better have a lot of management tools, a lot of resources, a lot of very, very strict training because just know that that's not what they were bred for. So you're working, you're, you're, you're kind of swimming upstream a little bit. I have a clear understanding of why I got Romulus. It doesn't mean that he can't be pet. It doesn't mean I can't have him play with other dogs or other people. But you got to understand what it is and, and, and you got to be good with that. And you always have to remember that. Okay. So um, take that for what it is. I've found it very interesting to hear those different delineations. There are lots of breeds that are like that. Just don't, I don't want you to think it's just the Connick Corso. 
Just like, I would say the same thing if you got a Belgian Malinois and you go, I just want it to sit on my lap on the couch. That's not what they're bred for. Okay? So always understand uh, the why. Why did you get this dog? And, you know, what was it bred for? And if you don't have something that kind of cross in that, you might, you know, you, you might get in a situation where it's going to be an uphill battle in your training. Okay? So... Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, if you want to look me up on Instagram and give me a follow, uh, the Connie Corso X on Instagram, the Connie Corso Experience on Facebook, Johnny Doe on Facebook. Um, send me a message on Instagram. Uh, the Connie Corso X is the best way to get a hold of me. Um, I'll upload videos of Romulus doing his thing just to show you um, that you know this is my dog. This isn't my job. Uh, so if if meaning that you can get a lot out of it. Just, you know, I've, I don't do board and train. I didn't send Romulus somewhere. Um, I did it all myself. Just dumb idiot me who knows very little about, um, you know, a lot of the higher concepts, but I know the basics and I know them well, and I'm disciplined enough and have the will to get there. You guys can too. So no matter where you're at in your training, no matter where you want to be, you can get there. You just have realistic expectations and understand it's going to be a management thing. And don't ever think in a million years that the answer is just to drop your dog off with some professional, let them train them, and then give them back to you, and that that's going to stick. Okay? You might They might be better. They might have a little bit more discipline. But just know that at some point, you're going to have to do some of the investing and heavy lifting and you're going to have to really get your hands dirty with this breed. And the what you're going to get out of it is tenfold. You're going to get so much loyalty and dedication and a great ownership experience of one of the best dog breeds that you can have. If you really like that personal connection and loyalty, you can't get it from another dog breed the same way that you can from a Cane Corso, um, at least the breeds that I've interacted with. I've had... You know, a lot of dogs that love me, but they, I have a, I have a buddy that he has a lab and he brings him to work all the time and he treats everybody like he treats his owner. I mean, he just will sit there and just love on him and cuddle with him and stuff. My kind of Corso, he didn't want to be around anybody, but my wife or I, and, um, he bonds with the people he bonds with so much on a higher level, um, because of that. And so it's it's a great experience from that level, just to have that loyalty and dedication um, from a dog. And and if and if you can bond with them, they'll they'll want to please you, and your training is going to be that much more impactful uh, for them if you went through that bonding phase correctly. So, um, thank you guys for paying attention. Thank you guys for listening to almost an hour and forty minute podcast. Um, hopefully, it won't be weeks till my next one, but. I went a little bit longer because it's been a couple weeks since I've uploaded. So thank you guys for tuning in. And as always, be kind to man's best friend. Peace. Three, two, one. <laughs>